This episode is brought to you by Third Eye Cacao. We're so happy to have a brand new sponsor. We want you to support our sponsors because they make these shows possible. Third Eye Cacao is on a mission to preserve ceremonial grade cacao in the world and invite others on a journey from their head to their heart. Cacao is a fruit where chocolate comes from and is one of the most nutrient dense superfoods on the planet. It has been called the elixir of the gods for its ability to open up the heart. Studies have shown that the same endorphins that get released when you are falling in love for the first time, cacao has the power to induce also. It's like the best feeling in the world and cacao has that for you here at Third Eye Cacao. Overall, cacao has the powerful ability to begin any day with intention and ceremony. Use promo code TIMEWHEEL, that's T-I-M-E-W-H-E-E-L, at checkout and save 11% at thirdeyecacao.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. It is the underwear with the dual pouch system. One pouch for one part of the male anatomy, another for the other part of the male anatomy. Not only is the underwear the most comfortable underwear you'll ever wear, but it also has the most stylish designs and patterns. The fabrics actually have a cooling effect when you put them on for the very first time. Your body will thank you because it's one of the hottest parts of your body. So cooling it down with these special fabrics that Sheath provides is a nice experience. The proof is in the pudding. We have a 100% money back guarantee on the very first pair. If you don't like it, we'll send you your money back. Go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RPG and save 20%. We appreciate your support. Back to the show. Welcome to the RPG Podcast. And we are live. Oh, God, Pat! Presented by Sheath. A Time Wheel Production. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. I am Bobby the Bank, and I'm here with Luis J. Gomez, comedian, founder of Gas Digital Network, uh, host of the Real Ass Podcast, half host of Yo MMA Raps, and one third of uh, Legion of Skanks. Thank you for joining me here, sir. What's going on, Robert? How are you? I'm very happy to have, uh, very happy to be here, very happy to be wearing sheath underwear right now, as always. I got my I got my Legionist Ginks. Hell yeah, on. dude. Always always supporting each other, which I love. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on and just showing some love here to the of fans course. of Sheath that came here from you introducing them to uh, uh to Sheath. You've been a big part of our growth over the past couple of years, your company, Gas Digital Network. And it's uh and I see that growing. How's how we're both kind of like in a, in a stage of growth of our companies where we're doing pretty well, but can you tell me how it all started? Um, sure. You know, um, you know how it all started. 
That's a, that's a that's a very long story. So for anybody who doesn't know, I'm sure a lot of people do. I run Gas Digital with, with my partner, Ralph Sutton. Gas mm-hmm. Digital stands for Gomez and Sutton. Um, and uh, that's our podcast network. And sort of under that umbrella of a podcast network, we do our own ad sales. Uh, we work with Sheath and a multitude of other um, great, uh, amazing advertisers that support great comedy through thick and thin. <laughs> shout we, out to your Kratom. Shout out to your Kratom. Love your Kratom. Love those guys. For sure. Um, but you know that you know not only that but the the merch side and our live production company we produce uh, obviously live uh, live events and I, I produce Skankfest, which is technically a different company but it all sort of falls under the same umbrella and the same marketing in the same world uh the house that legion of skanks built as we like to call it behind closed doors um you know we me and ralph were both just podcasters that were sort of small potatoes you know when we started gas digital legion of skanks we were it was funny because we we went on to uh, Compound Media, which was Anthony Cumia's network. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we signed on with his network, our show wasn't a very big show. We always had sort of a dedicated following and we were very funny, but it wasn't a really, really big show. And then we went into Compound Media and they sort of like hit all the numbers. So we didn't even know how big the show was really uh-huh. when we were on Compound Media. And me and my, my partner, Ralph Sutton, we started Gas Digital because I had another show. I had a real ass podcast that I was doing, which had a couple thousand listens at episode. It wasn't a, a big following at all. It was just a couple thousand people. And I was working with a network um, on the Upper West Side, and they were sort of treating me like I wasn't much of a priority. And I get it now. Now that I run a podcast network and we have 25 podcasts, and you know, you, you see there's the smaller shows, um, you know, you know, they, they, you can't necessarily treat them as much as a priority as the bigger shows. Sort of the idea is grow your show. But I saw something in my audience, you know, and, and the way that I put it was, you know, if there was 2,000 people showing up every week to a parking lot, and listening to me speak, the fucking the the government would shut it down. They would bring in they would there'd be helicopters. They'd be like, "What is going on? Is this guy planning on overthrowing the guy?" Like, in my I was like, two thousand people is a lot of people to be showing up every week. That's like a fucking army." And I knew that there was something really valuable about that. And you know, for me and and Ralph had a very similar thing. His show, the SDR show, wasn't a very large show. Didn't have a huge following. But both of us were hustlers, and we were both doing whatever we could do to grow our shows organically. We were just trying to stay at the forefront of whatever whatever the new technologies were in podcasting, whatever tools you could use to grow your show. Me and him were both getting on the phone with advertisers, you know, and, you know, we just doing whatever we could do to just sell an ad, you know, even though we really couldn't convert anything and we didn't really have enough of an audience to really make that big of a difference. We both were just doing what was absolutely necessary in order to turn this into a business. And we were looking at it from the perspective of a small podcaster. So we sort of started sharing ideas. Big J Okerson um, introduced us. We started sharing ideas regularly, and both of us were unhappy with the networks we were on. We felt like they really weren't doing anything, and we said, "Well, why don't we start our own podcast network where we, you know, we're looking out for the little guy. We're looking at it from the perspective of, of the little guy, um, and and how to turn this into a business for smaller podcasts, not just the shows that have hundreds of thousands of listeners." Um, it actually didn't even start off as a podcast network. It started off as we were going to do the first live podcasting venue. Right. Uh-huh. So we, the idea was it was going to be, it was going to be called the pod and um, it was going to, you were going to have like Bluetooth headphones or there was like radio headphones where everyone would be on headphones in the venue. So you go to the bathroom, you're still listening to the live podcast. You're getting a drink. 
Um, and it was in sort of in the round. So the podcasters would be at a table and all the people would be around us. And once we started doing the research and talking to investors, it was like, that was impossible, <laughs> impossible to sort of get off the ground, you yeah. know, without much money. I mean, the amount of money that it was going to cost to open a venue like that was going to be crazy. And the idea sort of shifted to the podcast network <clears throat> after we started working together. And after we started sharing ideas together, um, we said, we want to be in business together. And that's how gas digital was born essentially. Nice. It sounds like you kind of do that format though with Legion of Skanks. Was is that how you all? Yes. Did it? So that was that was it. We were doing a live Legion of Skanks show, and we saw that it was something that was somewhat unique. This is, I, I mean, Kill Tony wasn't a live show. There really wasn't any live podcasts. We were, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but we were, you know, pretty much ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. You know, but we Gas Digital, you know, our format. Um, and, our, and our platform, our premium side, existed before Patreon was something that podcasters were using. That wasn't even a thing. Patreon came out after the fact, and and everyone started going like, "Oh yeah, we should be you know having some sort of subscription service." But we were doing that before Patreon. Um, we've always been a little bit ahead of the curve, and that's sort of the challenge of doing what we do. Um, is how do we keep on staying ahead of the curve? How do we keep on reinventing ourselves? Um, because we are not a, a you, and you know this better than anybody. We're not a tech company. You know, we are not you know. <laughs> programmers we are podcasters and we're, we're podcast producers and we're creators um and in spite of our lack of tech savvy we've grown it to be a pretty big business that people love yeah um you didn't did you go to college um i mean yes but no i yeah i went yeah. to a year of community college and that was like that was easier than high school that was like very very easy for me to navigate my way through because that was my my whole schooling career has been figuring out how to get maximum results out of the bare minimum effort right and community college is that you can you set up a very specific your first year of community college it's really easy classes you set up your schedule you're smoking weed in the parking lot with your friends you're playing hacky sack in the corridor you had an hour and a half of classes on tuesday this is great right um then i went to baruch college in new york city which is a you know city university a business school and that was real college and that was you know four hour classes you know three hour marketing courses and it was not fun and i very very quickly just started cutting classes and i um um, what happened was I actually answered an ad in the Village Voice while I was going to Baruch College. This is actually my introduction to comedy in general. Great. I answered an ad in the Village Voice to uh, promote for comedy club. Street team promoters wanted, right? And you can make sixty to one hundred and fifty dollars a day. That was the 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 range that they told you you could make. Is that or, where you go out and like hand out flyers and stuff? I would sell tickets. Actually, it wasn't even know. handing out flyers. What we would do is we would sell. It, it was eight passes for twenty dollars, and then once you get to the club, there's still a two drink minimum. So essentially, you, you know, you, you're a group of tourists, or you sell them to college kids or whatever. But they still got to buy drinks. We, you know, kept fifty percent of the ticket sales, and we gave it to our our. Um, you know the, the the company that hired us which was called new genesis marketing solutions and um i answered that ad and my first day out there selling comedy club tickets i made like 80 bucks and i was just like a poor kid from the suburbs and that was like that was a lot of money for me even at that time my first week i made like 500 bucks and i was like wow. this is it I, I never need another job in my life this you know this is gonna be my future and what in a weird way it was because from selling comedy club tickets which what's funny the first day i sold comedy club tickets on the, the same guy that answered the same ad that trained the same day was Kurt Metzger, who was uh, a great Kurt. comedian. Um, you know, Can't Get Raid is a great podcast here on the, the Gas Digital Network. 
And, um, but I was actually introduced to the real comedians because Kurt was already doing comedy. He did it for one day and he was like, this job sucks and he disappeared. But we sort of, you know, knew who each other were from that job that one day. And once I sort of got into producing comedy years later, after I was promoting for comedy, I started producing comedy before I was even doing comedy. Wow. Me and Metzger linked up and he introduced me to Big J Okerson, Nate Bargatze, Mike Vecchione, Joe DeRosa. I mean, all the guys that became like the guys that I looked up to most um, you know, that sort of my in was specifically through Kurt Metzger, specifically through the street team. Um, but yeah, I, I got introduced to the world of comedy. I was selling tickets for the New York Comedy Club. And very quickly, I've always had an entrepreneurial sort of spirit and attitude. I very quickly, I realized that I was like, I don't really need to go to these guys and get tickets. I can go to another comedy club, print my own tickets and start my own business. Yeah. And um, yeah, like 21 years old, I had a street team of 40 or 50 guys out there in New York City that were just hawking comedy club tickets. And we were, wow. the, we were making a ton of money, bringing a ton of people to the comedy club. Um, and then I started producing shows. I, I had a background in producing music. I was, you know, booking bands like Coed and Cambria and Sworn Enemy when I was in high school for like, you know, just music halls and various things. Wow. So I always wanted to produce. So I started producing comedy shows. And uh, then after a while, I was like, well, I could host my own comedy shows. I had the bug. I kind of wanted to get on stage. And slowly but surely, I started becoming more and more involved. And this just became, you know, my life and all of these businesses. You know, it all started off with answering that ad in the Village Voice. If I didn't pick up that ad, actually, what's funny is I, I was late to the interview. I almost didn't go to the interview <laughs> because I was on rollerblades and in New York City, Broadway, you know, Broadway runs, runs through the length of Manhattan, if you know Manhattan, but the, the, I was just dumb and I was new to New York City. So I was on West Broadway. I'm looking for this place and I can't find it. I'm, I'm pouring sweat. I'm on rollerblades trying <laughs> to find this. And I was like an hour late for the interview and I, and I almost gave up. I was like, fuck this. <clears throat> I'm not going to do this. Um, and who knows where my life would have been. I have no idea where I'd be right. I know I would not be talking to the CEO of Sheath Underwear. I'll tell you that much. That's right. You're, you made it, baby boy. <laughs> Big time. Uh, I, I've always been entrepreneurial also. Um, I was selling these. Um, <clears throat> there were like these vacation packages to Vegas when I was like 19. And before that, I was selling weed and coke and shit like like that just because i was always trying to be be bigger be more than i was kind of you look around compare yourself to your peers and it's just natural to want to be like a step ahead i think right and did you did you ever fall into the drug game as far as you know dealing yeah i mean a little bit like little I, bit. I sold i sold weed and i sold mushrooms you know um <clears throat> I was too much of a, I don't want to say drug addict, because that has, you know, more negative connotations, but drug addict in the, the funny sense. Like, I'm a drug addict. I'm currently a drug addict. I'm <laughs> smoking weed in my hotel room. Like, you know, so in that sense, like, yeah, I, I could never sell weed because I would smoke my profits, you know? Exactly. Mushrooms were great because you can only take a fucking eighth of mushrooms. So that's your, you know what I'm saying? So, and when I sold mushrooms, I sold mushrooms in large quantities. So I just had a connect. I never, it's not like I bagged it up and sold eighths of mushrooms. I had a connect that would sell me quarter pounds to pounds of mushrooms at a time. Jeez. And then I would, I would buy, I would, I wouldn't even buy a pound. They would front me the pound. And then I'd get four other guys that wanted a quarter pound. And I would, because they're so scarce, yeah. um, you could really decide whatever the market, the market, there was no real market to decide what mushrooms were. Right. Um, so we, you know, we jacked up the prices and I would off of very few transactions. I would make thousands of dollars at a time. Um, and that sort of, that was my only real foray into quote unquote drug dealing. Yeah. Um, 
and it was just it was very easy i was kind of connected and i knew everybody i was always a guy who sort of knew everybody i was a kid if you wanted to find drugs you'd come to me because i knew five people that could get everybody drugs so uh -huh. drug dealing no it was more or less like i had i had in my possession a pound of mushrooms and then i gave it to my four friends and now i had fifteen hundred dollars it didn't feel like drug dealing so much but yes but by by every technical standard if the police had caught me i would have gotten into a ton of trouble um but that wasn't my hustle my hustle i always hustled like legitimately was like a hustler like i i, I was a kid in my neighborhood when i was eight years old before i even had the strength to really shovel snow i was knocking on people's doors asking if i could shovel the driveways nice. during, when there was a snowstorm i was raking leaves i was um you know uh you know whatever it was an iced tea stand a lemonade stand i in, in elementary school i started making toys i didn't know how to make toys i just i told this girl i was like yeah i make my sister's barbie toys all the time like her barbie <laughs> house and her and I'm, i dude i fucking got this shitty wood and i I, I, could, I, I was not good with wood or my hands. I literally got shitty scrap wood from like behind my house and I cut together the shittiest little Barbie bed you could ever imagine. It was crazy. Wow. And I painted it and I, I, dude, I sold it to her like it was fucking, it, like it had Mattel stamped on the side of it. You should have seen me. I was like, I was always looking for a way to make cash mm -hmm. i was always hyper uh, aware of how poor i was my mother being on welfare i was very embarrassed of my mother being on welfare and being on food stamps my dad was killed when i was a very young kid and i was just like i was just, I, I looked down at my mother very often because i felt like she was lazy and I, I i just had this in me where i wanted to work um my mom stopped buying me christmas presents when i was 10 and school clothes when i was 10 you know what i'm saying so i i, I stopped <clears throat> having you know, if I wanted cool shit, I had to literally earn it myself. So by the time I was like 10, 11 years old, I was like breaking into people's cars and taking yeah. like, not like even radios or anything like that, but like change out of the console, exactly. like trying so to find a $5 bill. Similar if, things. And not the, even breaking the car into was cars. Unlocked, if it was unlocked. If the car was unlocked, I wouldn't break yes. a window. I wasn't like nope. a crazy kid. I was just like, we'd go to the ShopRite parking lot and we just open the doors of all the cars for video game money. We, you know, for, for summer camp so we can go to the movies or, you know, we had like a day camp we would go to and it was survival and mm -hmm. you know it was um a lot of those skills whereas you know it's not i would not recommend any kid to go out and do that a lot of that you know my my entrepreneurial spirit came from the fact that i had to survive and it was hypersensitive to how poor we were mm -hmm. i didn't want to be poor growing up it was yeah. something that like you know I, it just and yeah so I, I remember one time my neighbor uh my neighbor died um, when I was like eight years old, wow. nine years old, my neighbor died and they just took all of his like furniture and belongings and they were putting them in the trash. So me and another kid from the neighborhood just literally marched and took all of the stuff and put it in my yard and put a yard sale sign <laughs> and just put price tags on everything. And we, you know, we made like a hundred bucks for the day, wow. um, but we're like kids, dude, it was so much money for like a, for a kid, like you're just buying candy. Like it was, it was nuts. Um, so yeah, I have just had, I've always had that in me for as long as I can remember, you know, and I've always wanted to work for myself. I couldn't, I wasn't good in school. I wasn't good at working for somebody else, having a boss. My only jobs that I've been successful in have really been sales jobs. And that's because any, any sales manager knows you got to make them feel like they're the boss. You got to make the salesman feel like they're the, the, the head of their own business and they aren't the helm of their own business. 
And, you know, then the sky's the limit with them. So I, I gravitated towards sales jobs and I've done very well at sales jobs and just, you know, sales excites me. Business excites me. Do you know, you know, talk like this is, this is an exciting conversation for me because I like talking about business. I like talking about, um, you know, th this side of, uh, of, and I don't really get to explore this side of what I do as much when I'm on Legion of Skanks or Realist Podcast or any of these other shows. So, um, but that's another, if I, if I wasn't doing comedy without a doubt, I'd be a fuck, I'd be a car salesman. I fantasize about being a car salesman. Uh, you'd, like you'd, I, go, you'd move plenty of cars. I'm dude, sorry. I'd fucking crush it as a car salesman. I think I'd make more money. I think of car very salesmen. quickly I would have my own car dealership. I think about it every day in my life, Robert. Don't, don't wow. tempt me to leave this industry. Well, there's a lot of options, and I'm sure you would do well because you figure it out as you go along, right? You have the vision, and then you make it happen. Just like Skankfest, for instance, we were there in November here in Houston, and that whole setup, the just the venue, the tickets, the talent, the merch, coordinating everything and, and having it go off like it did, and we're looking forward to Vegas here in October, but... That seems like just a lot of coordination and getting getting you know that done could. You have, I'm sure you have a team to help you. Well, I have a team to help me at this point, but you know, most people, most people don't act on their ideas, right? Yep. That's the truth. Yeah. And everything that I do, including Skankfest and Gas Digital, it's just literally me jumping in without a safety net and saying we're going to do it. And human nature. If you have enough belief in yourself, we you get it done. We just get it done. Yeah. You, we're, we're goal oriented. <laughs> we're designed to hit goals, you know. Nice. And once you start to understand that, and you start to look at yourself, and you start to go like, "Oh shit, I'm really only, I'm only as limited as I'm." I'm I, 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 I limit myself. Yeah, it's, but it's like just fucking declare it. Like Skankfest, I was like, "We're doing a comedy festival." Simple nice. as that. And everyone yeah. was like, "What?" And I was like, "Well, we're going to start from there. Here's the date. Let's work backwards." Yes. And that's every time we do Skankfest now, I'm like. Let's you forget did. all the other bullshit. Let's get the venue. Let's pick a date. And all of the other pieces will fill in. We don't need to get a sponsor before we fucking pick the date. We don't need to book a headliner for it. I don't need to do any of that. And yeah. it's worked. It's worked every People single time. People talk themselves out of doing these things because yep. they're like, oh, I got to do all this first. And then before they even start, they're, oh, it's over. So. You have to force yourself sometimes, you know, yeah. and that's that's one of the biggest things in business that I've learned. It's just simply jumping in. You know, there's a you know, if you've ever gone cliff diving before, and I'm sure you have. Yeah. You know, you fucking look, you know, there's the kids who are standing out looking over the cliff going, ah, fuck. And they stand up there for an hour, you know, yep. or the kids who just jump and just and once you do it, once you jump in, you realize everything is a lot of fun and everything sort of takes care of itself in a weird way. I I trust my own instincts uh, on a, a whole other level, like me and Ralph, when we started Gas Digital or even even Skankfest. It's not like we come into it with a very detailed business plan and it's not like we have these crazy projections and it's not like that's not really like we, we go from the gut very often. And I look at a company like Gas Digital, which is, you know, a legitimately it's a very, very big business that is, is really valuable. And I go like, wow, dude, that was our instincts. Like we literally like we sort of just went, fuck it, like, let's just let's roll the dice here because we didn't really know how big the business would get. We didn't know how intricate the technical side of the business would get. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud 
proud of, of that, but it's, it's very, and it's not, I'm not, I'm not even saying that I have unbelievable instincts. I think human beings have natural instincts, all of us. And I think if we trust our first instinct, more often than not, that first instinct is correct. Whether yeah. it's on personal relationships, ideas that you have, things that you want to do. If you just sort of trust your gut, your gut really tells you something. And I think that people should do that a little bit more often. Yeah. It's like a second brain and, yep. and it's just like your heart kind of sometimes some people might say it's the universe kind of giving you a hint to follow your path your you know your path on, on in this life we all have our own kind of destinies and your it might be conveyed in a gut feeling and a lot of people would just ignore that or talk themselves out of it or, or somebody else might you might be like i'm gonna do it and then somebody tells you why you can't do it and you're like oh you're right yeah and yeah did anyone try to tell you you couldn't do it like this um, podcast, the, the gas digital, for instance, not really. I, I mean, probably I just sort of put yeah. blinders on, you know, yeah. It, exactly. you know, and the other thing is like, you know, like, uh, you know, we have a lot of people that really like sort of depend on us. We have a lot of podcasters and producers and we, it's just sort of this whole world that we've created. Yeah. So, and the people that are negative, in my world and the people that don't have sort of this blind belief and the, the, the ability to sort of grow these things, um, they sort of very quickly get pushed out, you nice. know? So I, I, and I don't, it's not like I have a bunch of yes men. No, I have a bunch of people who really truly believe in what we're doing. And sometimes, they, sometimes they don't, sometimes there's a producer or a podcast or whoever it is, they don't get it. They don't see it. And they go in a different path. And sometimes they're very successful. You look at it like a, a, a Tim Dillon or are you garbage? These guys worked with us. And they decided to go off and do their own thing. And then they fucking absolutely murdered it, you know, and then they killed it with Patreon and other platforms. And that's awesome. You know, so it's not like a, it's not like I, the, the path to success is working with me or with gas digital, but there's a reason that, you know, 95% of the, the people we've worked with stick around and they fight to stick around, you know, it's because we're doing some things that are really right. So, um, we have a really positive sort of you know, just a really positive crew of people around us. I love the producers at Gas Digital. I mean, dude, they breathe this business. They really, really do. And before Gas Digital existed, podcast producer wasn't even a job. That was not a job seven, wow. eight years ago. Nobody, like, you didn't even hear about that. You heard about Jamie on the, the Rogan podcast or Red Band exactly. before that, Red you know? Band, yeah. You heard about a few guys that were probably making money from their massively successful friends that were, you know, doing podcasts. But the idea of somebody coming in, we have, you know, three engineers that work for Gas Digital. We have uh, 11 or 12 producers that are, you know, producers that are both on air and segment producers. We have post-production producers, editors, Editors, interns. We, I mean, we have such a robust crew of people, and everyone has very specific jobs. And that genuinely didn't exist when we started this business. You are a pioneer, sir. Um, I have a. We have our podcast producer. He didn't show up today because he's moving. But it, it, it's handy to have someone there to facilitate. You can just show up, you know, and, and, and get on the mic instead of having. Like if you had to do everything yourself, that could that t it could be. It's easy, but it can get overwhelming if you, you know. Yeah, well, I think that was sort of back in the day, you know, there was a, the barrier of entry was the knowledge and how to do it. And yeah. not that many people knew how to do it. So it's why Legion of Stanks exists, you know, it's because I knew how to produce a podcast. Wow. wow. You know, if I didn't have the equipment and how to produce it, I don't know that Big J and Dave, it's not like we were going to all come in and do equal parts. You know, those guys needed something to be produced for them. They needed to be able to show up, you mm -hmm. know, so you have some great stuff because of that. You know, look, the reality is like if Leonardo DiCaprio had to direct his own movies, you probably would never have great Leonardo DiCaprio movies, you know? Exactly. Um, 
you know, so the the reality is it is a and as the business began began to sort of grow that side of it became you know very very important now you know, now everyone's a fucking diva now everyone's got a podcast producer everyone's got uh, everyone's got it all i know it's it's like everyone has a podcast but there's how many podcasts do you think like shows do you think there are i have no idea i mean like let's say a million you think it's more I, than a million who knows probably more than a million because it's just, crazy there's, it's there's, for the amount of podcasts seven. that are out there it's nuts true but I, I i still think if nothing else you have fun and you you learn and you grow as a person and if nobody's watching you're having these good detailed conversations that are uninterrupted and you can really practice com conversations mm. and, and it, it carries over to the other areas of life where it can benefit you just by i think having a podcast even if no one watches like this one. Just kidding, everyone out there <laughs> watching. Thank you for joining. I appreciate it. I was thinking earlier, like your mom kind of maybe did you a favor by not giving you, you know, stuff in, yes. in hindsight. Yes. <laughs> you know, look, I, I don't. I have no regrets. I got a great life. I got a great kid. You know, there, there's nothing, nothing in the world that I would change. You know, so. Um, like yeah, I could I've benefited from more love and more, you know, more opportunity. Could I've benefited from you know just the benefits that you know other kids who are privileged have, like a child psychologist. So dealing with my you know dealing with my father's death, like that was processed by not talking about it ever, wow. right? That's like how like most kids today, if they lose a parent at four years old, they're going to be in some sort of therapy, they're going to be in some sort of program, they're going to like deal with it in a way that wasn't dealt with. I was just dealt with with my mom being abusive and not really ever discussing how it affected me or, or any of that. So could there have been benefits to all that? For sure. You know, I don't know. Would it be better off or worse off? Who knows? I just know that I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have this career. I wouldn't have my kid. I wouldn't, you know, there'd be a different version of me that that would be somewhere out there for better or worse. I just, um, you know, I don't look at any of those things in my past as being, you know, they're all good. They're all bad. It's, it's what, you know, it's, it's what you make of it. You know, my, my kid, my kid is super spoiled, you know, but I, I think my son's going to change the fucking world, Beautiful. you know, and, and I don't think I have to deprive him anything in order to tap into that. I think I'm tapping into it in other ways by being there as a, you know, a supportive father and giving him literally every, every tool possible to go out and create and do what he wants to do with his life. I, I literally look at like, you know, the fucking, you know, the sky's the limit. This kid can go out and be president. president. He can yeah. fucking go out and he can change the world he can, in, in such crazy, massive ways. So I think that about my daughter and I, she's no, your daughter's not going to do much, but my son, <laughs> he's going to fucking crush it. No, he, could, he could be president after her. She'll be the first. <laughs> yeah. How old's your daughter? 21. Oh, 21. Oh, geez. So she's old, dude. Yeah, she's a geezer. But nice. we have the same birthday. We just both, I turned 44. She turned 21. I had her on my 23rd birthday. And uh, she's she's going to college. And I was giving her like everything. I, I would give her like in high school, I was giving her like 800 bucks a month just for, and I didn't even know what I was, she would ask me for money. I'd give her money. And finally, I went and looked at the bank statements and saw, I was like, maybe over providing because you don't want to get you you need them to provide for themselves ultimately because i don't want her to be 30 and you know coming to daddy or whatever but of course she's really good madison she's she has two jobs she's in college she's about to graduate on time when you name that. your daughter madison are you are you saying all right well look i'm i'm 
50-50 shot she's going to be a stripper now. I'm giving her a stripper name. I don't, like, did you decide that? You said you're going to wing it. It didn't matter to you. I, my wife and uh, at the time and I were separated, she came up with a name. I probably would have come up with a different name. Um, <laughs> she, was, she did it to fuck with you. Yeah, She's well, like, you I know what? There. She was like, fuck him. I'm going to name him after the girl from Splash, the mermaid, or James Madison. But she's she's doing great. Um, very, like, her, her mom died. And oh, like, no. Yeah, so, and your dad died. And I was just, I was thinking when you talked about your mom not really dealing with it with you, it made me think about how I dealt with it with Madison. And it's kind of, we were separated already. We were, had already been divorced and she died from um, like alcoholism. Oh and, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was so hard to like break that to my daughter. I'm like, Oh, you, you were the one who told her. Yeah. Ooh. And I was just trying to get it out. I like, fucking lost it and then she lost it and then um because how do you tell someone their mom died? was it like surprising or was she like in Very. the hospital it was i mean insane. it was kind of i mean she she had been drinking a lot which is partially why we got separated but and then when we got separated it turned into like i saw her one time um like she woke up my ex-wife she turned to the her bedside table pulled a bottle of vodka out and like took a sip because that's how she got up out of bed and that's where it was headed. So it wasn't like a total surprise, but we sent her, we sent her away to go get help, and then she ended up dying while she was quote unquote getting help. And Jesus Christ, man, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. Like to have to look. I'm, you know. Yeah. I got to tell my son that we're about to put down our dog. And oh my God. I'm I'm Sports? avoiding I'm avoiding it like the plague. <laughs> it is fucking. Yeah. I I have no idea. So when you say this. <clears throat> I couldn't even imagine the 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 fucking how hard it's gonna. I mean, it, dude, that and you have to be the one, you know. Yeah. You, there's no, you, you know, put that's that. Off that. Else. There's no, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I might try to put it off on like Harrington or one of the the interns. Yeah. Um. That might, I don't know how I would deal with it, dude. That's fucking crazy, dude. You just um, you rip off the bandaid and then you deal with it. And but like, how long ago was it? Uh, but it's been about five, six years. So she was 14 and, and she's just now going to therapy, but I didn't really know how to talk to her about it because like it was just a fucked up situation. Cause her mom kind of like did it to herself. And, and how do you explain something like that to a 14 year old? Like she couldn't control herself and she just like, took the bottle to the head and, and it was done yeah. and same. Yeah. I don't know. We're not talking about me, but same thing happened to my dad. So we are talking about me. What he happened to my mom too? My mom ended up dying. She had cancer, but she like killed herself with heroin. Like she just gave uh, up on life. Yeah. So that was the end of her life. Gave up. He was just like, I'm done. I'm going to finish it. And he kept turning the bottle up until it was over. And he kind of hid himself, but he was a good dude. At least I got to know him. I mean, you yeah. didn't, necessarily get to know your dad because i don't know how that would be growing up without a parent from early childhood that seems like it would be just you're different you know everyone else has a dad and you don't yeah yeah no that was something that like you know made me long for a family that was probably the hardest thing about breaking up with my son's mother was the fact that like i think all i wanted my whole life was a family you know mm. and when we broke up that was fucking it was brutal 
And it was, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm not giving my, my kid a family and now I don't have a family. And it was really, really, really difficult. Um, and it took a lot of fucking therapy. It took a lot of like looking at myself to sort of even get myself to a place where I could be happy. Cause it was, it was a really, really dark place. Um, and a, honestly, a lot of my therapy was starting gas digital and starting, you know, because that's ar around the time that me and my son's mother separated. Um, so yeah, dude, it's fucking you know, these are all fucking heavy, heavy things that you got to deal with in life, you know, but the, the reality is like, you know, in spite of all these things, and these are fucking this as hard as it gets, you're naming things that are as hard as it gets, you know, so am I, these are fucking tough, you know, and, and I don't, I don't say hyper-focused on all the sad shit and the darkness in my life. I try to make jokes out of it for the most part, you know, but the real positive that comes out of these things is the fact that we sort of bury ourselves in our work. We put our heads down, bite our fucking mouthpieces and just keep swinging, you know, and I, I think that you know in spite of that darkness or you know to me honestly maybe maybe because of that darkness i was able to put on some blinders and really really work and not be you know because if i was looking at the personal side of things and i was looking at my per you know my personal life i might have gotten too depressed or sad or fucked up to to even move the ball down the field you know but it was like well now i have I can be hyper focused on work. I have a, I have massive ADD. I'm assuming you do as well. Um, like my ADD is like fucking through the roof. Like I, I can, it's hard to focus on one thing. Yeah, but, yeah of course. Yeah, because like moving from like project to project, and I kind of work good. I work decent like that. I'm actually reading this book though by Jim Quick called Limitless, and there's this one little paragraph of the whole book so far that I've read that was actually really helpful, at, and it's dealing with focus. And I don't know where you stand on certain, like the mind and meditating and and how it all works, uh, trying to be at one with the universe and stuff. But anyways, he said that there's a light in our mind. Okay, so there's like it's a metaphorically like this a light shining towards whatever you're focusing on. And, and if as we're focusing, the light kind of shifts over to what I need to do today or some other project. You're supposed to just bring that light back to the thing you're working on. And metaphorically, it has, for the past week or so, it's really helped me because I'll notice like I'm doing something and then my mind starts veering, this light, quote unquote, starts veering towards something else. And typically I would just go do something else. Hmm. But in this case, I'm like, no, shine the light back on the fucking book you're reading, bitch, and, and finish <laughs> doing what you're doing. Um, and, and I'm like, it is weird, weirdly working for me. So just putting that out there for Great. those of you that, uh, come here for some tips. Yeah. Yeah. My, I don't even know. My light is, it's like a, it's like a lighthouse. It's just going in a quick circle <laughs> all over the place at all times. There's no really focusing in on one thing, but it works for me to a certain degree. You know, yeah. I wish if, if I could literally have one thing that I could do, I wish I could just fucking snap myself into just, I know the answer. We all know the answer, right? We all know the answer. Like if you step that side of yourself, right? And the answer to every problem in your life, Robert, you probably have at the very least a good starting point and a good guiding light as to how to fix every problem in your life you know there's probably <laughs> nothing that you have that if i if you were to sit down i would really press you that you wouldn't say well i think this would be step number one i got to do this got to do this got to do this we don't do it very often whether it's with our health our personal life sex life love life business whatever it is we ignore we know exactly the game plan we're smart we're the we're the masters of our own fucking destiny we're, we're smart dudes we fucking create these things that we love and that other people love 
but we don't do it for some reason. And I wish I could just have a little bit more of the just do it. You know, I wish I can get up every morning and do jujitsu at 6.30 in the morning and then not look at my phone, but as soon as I know jujitsu, shower, steam, go back out, do all of my emailing, do all of my phone calling, and then by 10 a.m. have all of the work, the business shit that's sort of absolutely necessary every day, completely done and start my day off. The, and then I look at my phone, then I go into social media, then I start, you know, flirting with chicks online or whatever I'm going to fucking do or, you know, planning my podcast because that's fun. Let's get real. Planning a podcast is a lot of fun, right? Going and doing a podcast is a lot of fun. How, do you, plan, jokes at how night. do you plan for a podcast? For me, I, um, my producers know to call me a couple hours before the podcast to actually talk about the stories with me. I like to, I like to talk about the stories before I go over them. This is on all of them. This is on me and me and big J do this on Legion of Skanks. Beautiful. And what'll happen is, um, but I do this with Shannon for real ass podcast. And I do this with Vic on Yo MMA rap. And what they do is it's their job to go over like a bullet point, be like, all right, so this happened today, you know, Will Smith slapped Chris rock. And then me and the producer talk about it. And what I'm looking for is, am I, do I have an opinion on this? Am yeah. I, do I have a different perspective? Do I have something to say about it? Am I, am I inspired for other little things to branch off with little conversations with that conversation with the producer? Because if I'm going to be inspired with that producer in that moment, more than likely when I'm with Zach and two other great comedians, or I'm with Dave Smith, who's an incredible broadcaster, one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my entire life, or Big J, who's Dave. literally the funniest person on the planet. If I can get it going with them and get my juices flowing with my producer, I'm going to more than likely be able to get my juices flowing on on this topic with the other performers that are in the room as well and then if it's a if, if, if i don't if i'm not inspired by anything i say eh, throw it to the side i'm not really into that and that's sort of how i do my prep and it's like a wow. little 15 minute phone conversation to just it's almost like a, a dress rehearsal for the podcast on that's what smart. i'm gonna sort of say and do and what i'm thinking and you know because very often it is off the top of my head and it is improv but to not know the direction sometimes is a missed opportunity you have to work out these thoughts sometimes you know and because then i go like ah oh, fuck you know because then I'll talk about it on another podcast and then I talk about it in a more enlightened way or in a way that makes more sense or a funnier way nice. and I go I should have just honestly put a little bit of thought into it and not had something thrown at me which can look as a different style as well like improv games and you can you know you know have something that's a surprise that that's a whole other element but that's a different version I like to be the person surprising the podcasters right, right. so I all like so when I have people in my my studio doing a show with me they don't go over the notes the same way that I do you know because I like to sort of get the reaction out of them and sort of see yeah. where they're at but if somebody came to me and said hey you know what give me the notes because i really like to have a, a thought on everything before you go over it i'd respect that and i'd appreciate it i'd go here by all means if that's the way that you want to perform that's the way you want to perform what i do really well is i collaborate well and this is a, whether it's a creative a creatively uh, business-wise uh, i just i work pretty well with people and i think i do a good job at getting the best out of the people that i work with i, I inspire people to do to be the best versions of themselves. Maybe it's because I'm such a shitbag that they that they feel like the better versions of themselves comparatively. I have no idea. But either way, that's one of the things that I think that I have that's a superpower. I think we all have superpowers in the world. But one of my Love superpowers it. is when I go near creative, smart, brilliant people, I draw creative, smart, brilliant things out of them. I think more so than the average person. Wow. I love hearing you talk like that about like we all have superpowers because I think everyone thinks of themselves in a limited fashion whereas I, I try to think of ourselves as unlimited and abundance and you, there's there's more than enough to go around we can we can oh, all yeah. eat our share of the pie and and have fun and doggy there is there is a path right now for you and i to one year from now to be billionaires 
on our own mm. private islands doing you know fucking doing whatever we want to do with our life like that 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 reality there's an infinite amount of uh, amount of decisions and paths that we can make to get there that's the way my mind thinks i really believe it i, I truly truly believe it and this is i've gotten better as i've gotten older at being empathetic and understanding that that's also one of my superpowers being able to think that way and see that being able to yes. go like oh i can be a billionaire in a year that's not right. many people think that way most people go no there's no fucking way it's absolutely impossible and i go well no impossible we talk there's many ways what do you uh, there, there's and then if you really believe that you put one foot in front of the other because i want to start going down that path when the people say no that's impossible they're moving backwards or they're staying stagnant you know now i probably won't be a billionaire in a year probably not but if I believe I can be, and I start going down that path, you know, it's the old saying, you know, shoot for the you know moon and you'll hit the stars or whatever the fuck it is, right? Like th that, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know what's further, <laughs> stars, moon, who knows? But the point is, the point is, you know, the I think most people, 99% of the people don't have a belief in their own ability to achieve some sort of greatness. And I think that that, right, that I know that is like Michael Jordan's fast twitch muscle fiber. Like I have that, like, I, and that's, and I, and I, I'm a, I've learned to be appreciative of that. Right. And all wow. the other shit, all the bad, the sad shit in my life and my mama being abusive and my dad being murdered and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's fine and dandy, but I have this fast switch muscle fiber in me that that enables me to believe in my ability to do things that I think is, you can't learn it. I think it's invaluable. This, the same way that Michael Jordan was born to be able to be that crazy of an athlete, I think that, you know, I'm not saying I'm the Michael Jordan of business or the Michael Jordan of comedy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I feel like I have that sort of fucking power. I really do. I love that. Um his quote, like, I've failed and I've failed and I've failed, which is why I succeed. That's one of my favorite sort yeah, it's of great. quotes. Um, and having that belief, like, I, I feel I have it. I feel like I can do great things. Obviously, you just figure it out along the way. And you were saying something, though, and it's kind of the reverse segue, because... What do you think what do you think is holding you back because you're doing so great but you think you could even do better like what what is holding you back I'll tell you what I think might hold me back sometimes which is weed I smoke a lot of weed I all smoke the time. a lot of weed too <laughs> Yeah and it's like fuck would I could I be doing better if I didn't smoke weed like all day Yeah I don't know. Uh, probably but but oh. so you know it's like I think that same thing, you know, and then when I don't smoke weed I feel I'm like oh shit this I, I'm so clear-headed and then after a little while the anxiety kicks in and I'm trying to fight, you know, guys making my sandwich at the deli. So I'm like, maybe I need some weed, you yeah. know, just to, just to get myself to the next day, because yeah. if I get stabbed to death, then what does it matter? Right? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that these are all little variables that don't actually matter. You know, I, I, I have this, um, you know, uh, the, the, my, I have a tattoo on my body, which is a two seven offsuit. Right. And it's just the philosophy that I have. I, lo I love this philosophy. Right. And the idea, and you know, if you play poker, obviously course, it's the lowest, hand, horrible you, hand. <laughs> lowest hand you can get in poker is yeah. a two seven offsuit. And what the tattoo means is just to play your hand. You can't control those cards. Right. And yes, you can control whether or not you smoke weed. No, you can't control whether or not it has a grasp on you the way it has a grasp on you. So that's really, because I'm a weed head, right? I'm a pothead and, the, and it has a grasp on me and I have to smoke weed every day in order to fucking get through the day. That's the way that I feel. Um, 
so instead of fighting that fight, I say that's just a card that I, I can't really control right now, or maybe I will one day be able to control, but yeah. I'm not going to let that be the determining card. Me smoking weed every day can't be the difference between me achieving maximum success or not. That That's crazy. If, the, if I was, how powerless am I? What a pussy I am if it's just weed that it, that it is. So I, I almost look at it like that, um, but that philosophy I sort of like, you know, I, I live my life by, and I... Not, most people don't, right? And this is why when you, like, as a brown person, you know, look, dude, I, I dealt with, like, real racism, and I, and I you know, I, I'm a, a Puerto Rican man in society. I, people, I think they get, they get it twisted, right? But I was a victim of, like, massive racism growing up as a kid. Um, and I, I look at that, and I look at the color of my skin, and I wear it as a, a badge of honor, and, I, and I'm proud of who I am and where I came from. Um, I just sort of look at, when you, when you look at sort of the woke movement and the way that people are, I go, I was like, no, like, these are all just like, whether you look at it as good, bad, what disadvantage or advantage, I was like, these are all just cards. It doesn't really matter. And if I live my life by that philosophy, why shouldn't everybody? That's the standard which I put on myself where it's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that I grew up poor. It doesn't matter that I'm brown. It doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. The only thing that matters is sort of my attitude. And I just sort of see everybody in society you know, looking for a reason as to why they were disenfranchised or they didn't weren't given the opportunity. And I just see people missing the point of life all around us at all times. Yeah, uh, you know, these days it's tough to be a, a white male, LOL. <laughs> and uh, we try to do the best we can with what we have here. I'm just joking. How do you, so how do you, you smoke weed all day, but you seem like you're like sharp as a razor. So do you take some kind of alpha brain or anything? No, I stopped taking Adderall because I was crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was on Vyvanse and Adderall and it was really putting me on edge. How did you get off of that? That's because I was on Adderall. It was kind of it's kind of addictive. Um, it just wasn't making me happy, you yeah. know. Um I, I was I had a Coke problem for a little while and then once I um, started seeing a therapist and got on Adderall. I stopped doing coke because <laughs> that's really what I wanted. I just wanted to be clear-headed. I think. Yeah, totally. I feel you. Um, yeah, I had like it was it was a really really bad coke problem. Oh wow! When what me and my son's mother like broke up, ball? like secretly, but it was secret. I would never. I would. I didn't talk about it. I was doing it alone. Yeah, it's crazy. Don't that. It's not. And then I got. Cool. Uh, yeah, then I got on Adderall and Vyvanse for a while, and it felt like when I first took Vyvanse or when I first took Adderall, it felt like. It felt like the world all came in, like, you know, became clear. Everything, everything, yeah. like, it was, it was, I almost got emotional. It was like, this is like, I was like, really? Like, high school could have been good for me? Like, wow. And then um, the negative outweighed the positive, right? So after a while, it was like, I was just walking around, like, I was fighting with everybody, arguing with everybody. That whole fight where me and Kurt Metzger got into it at the comedy store in uh -huh. LA, there's like a famous, like, thing where I threw a drink at him. It was like nuts. Um, <clears throat> was because I was on, I was so hyped up on Adderall. I was just on wow. fucking edge. Don't get me wrong. I probably still would have gotten into it with him, but it was, that was, I think that was the last time that I took Adderall. Cause I was like, I'm getting crazy, dude. I'm like, this is nuts. And I was just walking around. I was like a ball of energy and there was obviously positive benefits because it really helped with my ADD. And I was, you know, finishing projects and, you know, um, and honestly, I think it was probably good for me 
at the time because we were yeah. starting Gas Digital, exactly. right? And we were had these businesses that we were starting and all these things, and and I was hyper, hyper, hyper focused at that time, and um, yeah, but it was me. I mean. Yeah, it was, it was, it got really bad after a while. And I was just like, this is just isn't good for me. I don't like the way that I feel. And I would take the pill and then I would just start, you know, immediately to feel kind of like just almost too awake, too like on edge. So, um, yeah. It I, worked I, for the time. Yeah. And honestly, once, you know, my, my responsibilities shifted in a very, very big way. Like I think in the beginning, me and Ralph were doing a lot of the stuff on our own. Um, whereas now we have a large team of people that can handle a lot of the, the stuff that we don't need to do anymore. Beautiful. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Cause I, when I was doing it, I was building sheath and, and it kind of served its purpose, but then it ran its course and I had, and it's time to move on and get back to net nature, maybe some mushrooms, a little bit of weed. Oh yeah. That's better. Um, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here shortly, but I, I have two podcasts today. This is one of them in a live stream right after this. Typically, I do like one podcast a week. But I, I felt like I was really doing my best when I was doing like three podcasts a week because it just kind of exercised that muscle and the communication muscle. Do you? What do you think about that? that yeah. I mean, some people, because I do, I do. Let me see. Uh, you know, three real ass podcasts a week. One Yama may rap. Two Legion of Skanks. So that's three hours, four hours, roughly like nine, ten hours of podcasting a week. And um, some people are like, "Oh, well, you know, how do you how do you talk for that much?" You know, I think the first time you do a podcast, you're like, "How do I even fill half an hour?" It's like kind of like a, it's nerve wracking. You know, a little like, bit. Well, what do I? You know, oh, you know what sure. do I say? Um, you know, it's almost like the same philosophy of like, just doing it, just jump yeah. in. You have to, you know, I if, was, if you want to, if I, you know, for me, if I want to be a podcasting professional, um, you know, I got to be able to do that. I got to be able to. So it, it was almost like I just jumped in and I said, all right, well, if I'm going to do my podcast three times a week, I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about, but uh, you know, it's my job to make it good. And I trust my own instincts. So, um, without a doubt, practice is going to make you better. It's going to, you know, I think it takes a while to get really comfortable, you know, talking on microphones and talking to strangers and, you know, understanding how to build a dynamic quickly with somebody new. Yeah. That's, um, you know, a whole other skill set. There's a lot of layers to being a good podcaster that people don't understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think so. It's the more you do it, the better you're going to be. Yeah, I'm going to keep practicing. Uh, do you know who Mr. Beast is? I, I'm hearing his name more and more. Okay, so because I watched him on Rogan and he was talking about how he has become, he's the world's leading content creator on YouTube. Yeah. And just the way he studied YouTube and really mastered how to maximize the reach, you know, and it made me think of back when you were doing Believe You Me, R, uh, RIP, believe, no, I'm just kidding. We don't believe you me. But, uh, Yo, MMA raps is what I listen to now. That was a whole weird controversy, but you, uh, that when you, you guys were doing thumbnails, like really creatively putting yours and Mike's head on other kind of just old art or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I think that, like, that's kind of one of the things Mr. Beast does. And I, I was wondering if, where you pick that up, are you studying how to get better, how to get 
you know, more reach. And so this is probably one of the major benefits of having a podcast network, right? So we have a, a meeting every Monday at 1.15 p.m. where all of our producers, all 11 producers, three engineers, all the post-production guys, our ad sales team guys, as it relates, where we all come in and we share ideas. Typically nice. me and Ralph sort of lead the meeting. We'll talk about these certain, you know, bullet point things, things that we have to discuss for the week. But then what we try to do is we try to make it an open forum where we discuss what's working, what's not working. You know, yes. um, this is a, the, the major benefit of having a network because you have a bunch of people that are trying different things, a bunch of people yeah. that are coming back and saying, well, this is working for this guy. This is a like-minded podcast with a like-minded audience. This is going to work here. The, the trial and error process is very, very fast, you know? Um, and I think that that uh, unquestionably, like, I don't know, somebody probably watched Mr. Beast. Somebody probably said, oh, dude, he's doing this. This is really cool. And then they brought it and they said, hey, why don't we try this style thumbnail? You'll see all, all the podcasts are always doing different things because every is it every podcast, they're, they're their own business. You know, the produ if you're a host of your own show, you should be your own executive producer, right? You should be the, the, the number one producer in your show if you're the host. It's your show, right? Right. So, everybody's got a different feel everybody's got a different thing but you know it's our job to come back and say hey this is working you know there's certain shows that maybe they don't have big numbers on um on on itunes or on youtube but maybe the host has a huge following on social media well let's start posting the full episodes to your instagram why not yeah. that's just right. views 100 percent. those are people that are watching that right um you know, there's way, and you know this from the advertiser side because we're constantly coming up with new ways to advertise, new ways that we can, you know, incorporate brands with smaller shows that maybe now a smaller show maybe they don't have as large of an audience, but that smaller show that audience is fucking hardcore. If there's a show that has five thousand listeners, those five thousand people will go to war for that show. That they feel like they're on the inside of something cool. They feel like it's punk rock. They feel like it's, and then when something grows to a larger scale, the fans feel less of an emotional connection with it typically. And I think the reason why Legion of Skanks has been so successful is because we grew to a large scale and the fans still feel that emotional connection. And we're not the biggest show, but I don't think many other shows can do something like Skankfest or can or build an entire podcast network based off of the dedication of their fans. Our fans are a special breed. Wow. Yeah, I love the support of the fans. Thank you, Legion. Because um, there's no other comedy festival in America that I'm aware of. I'm, there's probably is. But like Skankfest is the leading. You have the best comedians coming in, and it was really fun. And everyone was awesome. All the all the guests, all the talent, everyone was kind of just mingling, and it's a really cool atmosphere that you've set up. Are there any other? I guess we don't need to talk about. There's them. a there's a ton of other festivals. They just don't do them like we do them. The the sure. big difference is it's a big party. It's yeah. one venue. It's a big hang. You know, very limited amount of tickets that are, are sold for it. You know, it's 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 the cool festival that you want to go to if you're a comedian. Even if the ones that don't want to admit it, they all want to be there, right? Uh, and the audience, they the, our audience, like they will support Sheath because you support us, and that's yeah, a real yeah. thing. And that that's the type of thing where like people don't, you know, look look we. Very often when you hear, you know, hey, you know, go, go, go do this 20% off, you get this promo code, whatever it is, right? Very often it has to be a good product that resonates with the audience, right? Just very often you have to have that. I feel like Legion of Skanks fans would fucking support anything. Now, when you have a great product like Sheath in combination with the fact that our audience fucking loves to support, then you knock it out of the park. And this is why Sheath's been around for so long with us. It's, it's because you, there's certain products that not only, 
you know resonate with everybody you see it with your brand with the mma audience and it's just a great it's truly a great product i don't i don't bullshit i'm not blowing smoke up your ass i swear to god i would just wear different underwear and i would talk about it there's plenty of products that i don't use i don't smoke vape pens i don't smoke vape you know what i'm saying so right. i'll do the ad read and you know there's other people in the studio who use those vape pens and they're great but the reality is i, I i'm not just blowing smoke up your ass you have a legitimately great product i don't wear any other underwear no other underwear fit me the way that she fit me i fucking they feel really great they look great so um when you have that on top of the fact that we have an audience that wants to support our sponsors it just completely knocks it out of the park and that's why sheath has become a part of like um the the gas digital and legion of skanks culture you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. if people if if people think about men's underwear that if you're a legion of skanks man your mind immediately goes to sheath immediately um and i think that that's you know that's a, a great um, example of just finding synergy between two companies and and figuring out how you can make your brands overlap and and it's great you know sheath is almost like it's uh it's it's personified and not only by you actually have you know being at the forefront of it because you know you are very involved in people who know you specifically but i almost feel like sheath it's its own um um sheath is it's its own soul it has its own it aura you know what i'm oh, saying yeah. like it's and, alive. And, yeah people fucking people feel it they really do and i'm not I'm blowing smoke up your ass i really believe that well i think that's a great <laughs> segue to the end here I, I really believe in what you're doing gas digital network your, yeah. all of your podcasts my favorite hey, one you guys are coming back one of the stages is going to be a sheath stage this year at skank mm -hmm. fest which we're excited about yes. i'll throw some fucking i'll throw some fucking names out when does this come out uh monday monday who gets you a couple names gets you a couple names maybe, maybe you see maybe you see jim norton there Ooh. maybe you see tj miller there who knows who knows who's gonna maybe be there tim dylan at skank fest maybe nick uh -oh. mullen's gonna be at skank fest i'm like you know what i can't give any more i can't give any more i can't give any more there's so many there's so and there many. were so many and everyone uh, where do you, i won't even get into it yeah maybe alice um, mania is returning to skank fest who knows ooh, that was so fun i ended up maybe. fighting after i mean my we still haven't released our our vlog from skank fest matt let's get that out because i ended up fighting in that ring where you fought jason and you oh wow up in the first round that's right that's great dude that's fucking awesome yeah i was and i'm waiting for the footage i i got two takedowns but i was actually i got kind of injured i like that oh, the no. mat is harder than you think oh yeah yeah that was a boxing ring it wasn't for mma yeah. <laughs> yeah. it like hurt my shoulder but anyways we had a really good time we're really looking forward to vegas in october 14th through the 16th i heard tickets already sold out in like two seconds uh the 40 percent of the pre-sale tickets are gone the tickets go on sale tuesday um april 12th at 12 noon eastern you got to get there right at 12 noon eastern they're going to probably go very very fast if we only have 60 percent of the tickets left the first 40 percent sold out in three minutes so wow well, it's going to be a blast. COVID's over. We're back, baby. Hell yeah. We're moving forward. Gas Digital and Sheath Underwear, Luis J. Gomez, Legion of Skanks, thank you for coming on, and uh, I will see you in Vegas. You're the man. Thanks, Robert. Do you have anything else? You're good. You have any No, we're all good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. You're the best. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining. We'll see you next time. Peace. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks, Robert.